You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We're talking uh, the halachos of minhagim, the halachos of minhagim between husband and wife. Uh, and we saw yesterday uh, the hayroa from Rabbi Chaim David Alevi, uh, Zatzal, who, as I said, was chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And his basic, uh, what he was proving from the sources was that as long as the minhagim that the wife brings to the family, to the household, is not a disruption of shalom bias, and some of that, of course, is going to be subjective based on the temperament of her husband, uh, the temperament of the way things are, obviously, but he is um, counseling for shalom bias, and to also understand, especially if the halachas that we're talking about are mamish halacha mamish, like for example, what he talked about halak, to eat beis yosef shechita, the idea that now she doesn't eat beis yosef shechita, and then she'll eat something that in her family was considered non-kosher, um, is he feels would be improper. Um, and there are certain types of minhagim, which of course she can change. And he rejected the idea that outright, once she gets married, she takes over everything that her husband does. He doesn't believe that's the same as going to a place where a new city, where you're not supposed to show your minhagim publicly, because he says there it's a, a slap in the face to the city, to the roof. Here, we already know, especially in, in modern times, how communities have become so global. People come from all over. There should be an understanding uh, as far as that goes. That's a sort of a summary about what, now, obviously, he was using the chubas that had to do with kidneyus to prove this, but it's really a bigger issue than just what has to do with kidneyus. The chubas that he saw from the earlier sources from hundreds of years ago showed that there were marriages that were occurring, and that the wife was actually, as we saw in the case, was actually uh, eating uh, kidneyus when her husband was not. If the wife was eating rice and her husband was not, uh, and that to him showed that uh, their, their idea of forcing the woman to follow the monogam of the husband is definitely, he doesn't believe there is any source to that. Um, I want to read a couple more points here. We're going to, it's going to get a little more, uh, uh, I don't think complicated, but I think a little clearer. Um, if you remember, the tshuva that was asked, that was sent to him, was sent from another rub, another Talmud Chochem, and it was about a Taimani woman, Tamaniya woman who was marrying a non-religious man. And let's take a look specifically in that case. He said, I might become from later, but right now you're the from one. So let's take a look here about that case a little bit more. It's because of Shalom Bayas. The reason why Shalom Bayes would maybe force her to change, and sometimes it does, but that's where you have a house where the husband is keeping the mitzvahs. The husband has a sheet and a locha that he's accepted. 
and therefore we want to make sure that there isn't any uh, issues between them. But if the husband that he's married, to, she's married to, is a chiloni, so you can't start saying minhagim of halacha should apply. Um, in fact, remember what happened in that case. The, you know, I, it's a strange wedding, but I'm sure there are many weddings like that where there's love between them. She's religious. He's not. He says to her, don't worry. <laughs> I'm not going to bug you when it comes to things that have to do with religion. If that's the case, Rav Chaim David says, then of course she keeps all the temani minhagim because he has no minhagim in, in halacha right now. <laughs> Despite the fact that his father might be from or whatever it is, he's not keeping any those halachas now at all. However, the, it was brought up that a similar story occurred where the husband then did tshuva. Well, if the husband does tshuva, so then, once again, the din becomes a din about whatever is no gay or shalom bias. So obviously, if the Baal does tshuva and he finds, oh, I want to do tshuva and here I'd like to become like my old sources, like my father, like my grandfather, but my wife has been doing the customs of some other community, um, then what will happen? So in those cases, you're going to have a situation where, uh-oh, um, there's going to be issues. So therefore he says, um, maybe over there, as I said, uh, if it's clear that he, he might really do tshuva, then perhaps it would be better uh, to follow the customs of the husband about issues that might crop up. Now, that's only, of course, about the wife. Of course, children. And if you have a situation like Chaim David Alevi has sketched out, <clears throat> that the wife will have different menhagim than the husband in certain issues, Obviously, that's only about the wife. The, 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 the children, we talked about the girls being sort of in a state of limbo, according to Rav Meisha, and according to the Tshuva Sad Kedish. But of course, the sons, because the way he's creating the situation, there will be a difference, and the children will pick up on this, that the husband, the father did it one way, the mother did it the other way. As far as the children goes, of course, they need to follow the father. As it says, that's what indicates what your family is. Um, and even though uh, up until this point, in the case of this situation where the father was not from, so he didn't care. But now that he's done tshuva, so he can now say, we're going to go to the Minig Ashkenaz or whatever the Minig is, and that would definitely be true. Um, again, he says here one more time, He does not agree. If it looks like Tshuva is in the... Um, in the horizon, he doesn't believe that the family is now a Temani family because he's coming into the story late. Um, he feels in that case, if it looks like Chuva's on the horizon, she should probably start off uh, the other way.
Okay, that's in terms of that. I want to show you two more things on this. What about davening? We talked about, uh, someone asked me this about davening. So based on this tshuva, which was printed in a Torah journal, Tumen, before it was printed in the collection, it was printed in a Torah journal, Tumen. And a question was raised based on his article, which of course was a very, again, you saw yesterday, we saw people were surprised by this psaac. So there was a response to that article. And the, and the response was, what about brachos and tefilos? So, because a case came up about this. There was a, uh, a Boger yeshiva, a, a graduate of yeshiva, uh, that's a Sephardi, who married an Ashkenazi girl. And she would like to continue davening like the Nusach of her parents, Ashkenazis. <laughs> and she would like to continue to make a brook on Sfira Saomer like she did when she was in the Ashkenazi uh, uh, as a girl growing up. She wants to make a brook on Atila Sulav. The husband, okay, he's not so upset about it. The question is, is it right? Is that, is that something that, well, the husband's okay? Is this also, that's not my free Shalom bias? So Rav Chaim David Alevi says a very beautiful thing here. He says, when it comes to tefillah and avodah Hashem that have to do with the, the personality, the, the heart of a person, that's for sure what sitter she's using definitely shouldn't be an issue of Shalom bias. And clearly, she could continue to daven, to be mitpalel, like her family did. And the husband really should not try to stop that. Now, you're going to be happy about this, some of my uh, listeners. When she goes to her husband's show, so she's got to be worried. Everybody else there is davening Sephardi, <laughs> with the Nusa, with the, with, with the, with the, with the uh, Minak Sephard. So she's got to be careful about what it's going to do, especially if it's things where people hear her raising her voice uh, in the shul. She needs, she should have the Sephardi Asidr there. Uh, and, and that seems to be clear because you don't want that to have a go to do. Now, but at home, he says, if she wants, she can daven like she used to. But now, Rochaim David Alevi makes a pitch and you'll be happy about this, some of my listeners. He says, you should probably advise her, even though she's an Ashkenaziah, that she should change her Nusach even at home. If she agrees, just tell her that I think it's a good, it might be a good idea. I'm not forcing you, but it might be a good idea. Why? There's a couple of reasons. If we t- He says, I already explained in one of my earlier chuvas where tefillos come from, these different Minhagim. And based on the Arizal, we know every no, we talked yesterday about the Hashivas of the of Rishkodesh Nisan, that, that was the day that the tribes came together as in the, as, as 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 unique. Well, each Shevet has its own way to Daven. Now, however, um the Chida 
says in the name of that Rizal that obviously there's different minhagim in different places and people should not decide to change their minhag because the 12 shorim in Rekia and the 12 ways they entered into the Beit HaMikdash, the way it was mentioned in, uh, in Sefer Yecheskel as well, are all connected to the Shvatim. And every Shevet, although we're not sure which Shevet we're from, it goes up a certain Shar and a certain uh, Tzinor in Shamayim. However, this is the Tfilat Nusach HaSfardim, the Tfilat that the Sfardim have, that works whichever gate you go into. Now, the Chabadskers have another way of calling this. They call this the Shar HaKolil, which they say is Nusachari. But that's not what the Chidor writes. The Chidor says that if you, this Nusach works for all 12, which I guess is like the 13th. Whatever Shar you're from, if you daven this Nusach, this Nusach will, will go up to Shamayim no matter which tribe you were originally from. In fact, the post of Shmuel de Modena, the Marshdam, says that the minag of the Sfardim is the best. Because it's the clearest. It's the clearest, most straightforward Nusach of Tvila. <laughs> now, and that's what you should maybe tell this girl who's now married a Sfardi. You know, you have a chance now. It, it, it wouldn't be wrong for you to change. Now, you might want to say the Marsh Tam was a Sephardi, and therefore he's, he's prejudiced. But he says the Arizal himself, where was he from? He was Ashkenaz. His name was Luria. That's an Ashkenazi name. And the Arizal, once he became the Mekubal that he became, changed his Nusach to the Nusach HaSephardi. As he says, Agam Shahoya Ashkenazi Mispal Nusach HaSephardi. Why? Because he knew that that Nusach was the best Nusach. Hanusach Hamula Biotel. That that was the best Nusach to reach, to, to reach God with. And he says, if you look at this, you can see many, many poskim who write this. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to quote them all. He's not like Chacham Avadia who gives you long quotes. And he says, even the Gedolem Ashkenazim agree to that. And they are, as you see, matimim be'erach nusach tfilas asfardim. Even many of the great Ashkenazi rabbanim talk about how beautiful and perfect the nusach of the sfardim is. So therefore, she's already married to a sfardim. So if she wants, she can continue if she's comfortable. But she, and again, it'll probably help o- along the road if this can be explained to her. Okay, that's about that. What about Sfirata Omer? So as we, you, we, we talked about it a little bit week, in the weeks past, why a woman, it's a mitzvah, he says he feels clearly that even an Ashkenazi woman should not make a broch on Sfirata Omer. Maybe next year or whatever, we'll find this truth and look at it together. So therefore, I would say for sure, now that she's married to a Sephardi, she should probably stop making that brocha of Sphira. So Omer, it's, it's wrong anyway, according to him. Now about Netilat Lulav. Now I know a Chocham Avadi writes that this is, that Sephardi women should not make the brocha on Netilat Lulav, 
But this was, an, in his mind, and he felt he was an equal to Chochem Avadia. <laughs> so he disagreed. He says, I already wrote that a, a, a Sephardi woman, Yecholot Levarech. Now, again, we can see this at some other time. But I wanted to show you this. I was raised here in Yerushalayim when I was a little boy. And I saw Rabbanim Gedolei Torah Svardim he's talking about, would give their wives the luav, the, the luav to make a bracha on, and they would make a bracha. So therefore, as far as that goes, he seems to have uh, no problem with that. One last thing on this minagim, in terms of husbands and wives. Um, a question here, which is sort of a delicate question, uh, we've talked about it. I'm, I'm not going to go into a graphic explanation, but as you know, uh, women start counting shivanikim, uh, in order to become tarred to, to, as we know, we're machmir because of the humor of Zera, that women treat themselves like uh, zavot, that they have to have seven clean days. The question is, when do they start counting that, uh, those seven clean days? So there was different minhagim among the various communities. Some had the minhag that you wait seven and then you put seven on that. A woman starts to menstruate seven days later, the seventh day later, that's when she can start counting her seven days. There was such a minhag and there were many communities that went together with that, went on that minhag. The Rambam says that minhag is ta'ut and no one should really follow that minhag. Now, um, the case involved here was there were a, 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 a woman, a, a girl coming from one family, and she was taught by the ladies of her family um, that you wait four or five days. Her husband, though, comes from families where they have this minute that the Rambam felt was a mistake, which was you wait seven days, and then you start counting Shivanikim. So they asked Rav Chaim David, what should happen? So he says the following. He says, Minag mishpachat b'nei ishtacha, your wife's minag, which is to wait four or five days. And again, that's based on the sugya, by the way, that we were doing in Masechet Shabbat about Poleta Shechvat Zera and stuff like that. He says, that's definitely the minag nochom. Um, now, your minag, which is seven days, the Rambam says it's a mistake. So therefore, um, sh- uh, she should continue the minag that she was taught from her family. And, you're, and, and, and you can't say boo about that. And don't worry, that, don't think that your wife is doing something that's asur. Now, you said isn't it true that she should follow my minhagim, even though it's a chumrah? Um, that's true because of shalom bias, as he's pointed out. Um, however, that's not relevant here. Because, and this is the chidush she's going to say, this is not a family custom. This is a woman's custom in the laws of Nida. This isn't a family custom of my minhag. The husband's not a woman. And even though in the husband's family, this is the way they do it, 
it's not like the husband's minhag versus the wife's minhag. And he brings a raya from the Benishchai. The Benishchai says that that in his city in Baghdad, there were some women who were machmir to wait six days, meaning if they would start menstruating, they would only uh, begin the shivanikiyam six days afterwards. And there were some who had the minute that the Rambam said was a toast was seven. So the Ben Ishchai actually talks about a case like this. She comes from one of these very machmir families, which the Rambam says they're making a mistake. She's a little bit of a smart woman. As soon as she got married, she wanted to change and be like the other families that only wait six days. The Ben Ishchai says, look, even though her family does it, she never went to the mikveh yet. She never went through this process. So the fact that her mother did it, her sister did it, she's never had that minak herself, the Ben Ishchai says. She's never, even though her family did that, that's not, she hasn't done it. Now, so you see from the Ben Ishchai that everything is dependent on what she's done and what she wants to do now. So obviously, if now there's a difference between her and her husband's family, there's nothing about the husband. And therefore, he says, I, I didn't see anyone else talking about this Ben Ishchai. We know Rav Chochem wrote a safer on the Ben Ishchai. He, he didn't see anyone who wrote a difference uh, why, what does the Ben Ishchai mean? So he says, I'm going to tell you what I think he means. Because it's not his minag. So, eating kidney is in the house. Everybody eats in the house. Okay? Uh, uh, the shul, the whole family goes to shul. All right. Uh, there's everybody bent. There's a zimun in the mishpacha. True, he expects his wife to be tahor, and, and they live together as husband and wife. But this has nothing to do with him. So therefore, since based where she comes from, she's definitely tar lulo shom sopik, he's not shayich in that minag. It has nothing to do like rice. So therefore, there are certain things which are totally not his business, like this. Okay? Um, I want to do one last thing from him. We're talking about husbands and wives. I thought this was a beautiful tshuva. And I think it's a piece of what we've been talking about. We talk about a husband and wife and difference of minagim. This maybe we'll do tomorrow about um, flowers at a funeral. But I want to talk about this. Someone asked Rechaim David Alevi this question. A woman sent him a question. Her husband died in one of the wars. Maybe it was Lebanon. Maybe it was 67. I don't know. Maybe it was 73. So I got married to one of his friends. Maybe another soldier. I had a dream after my marriage that my husband came to me in a dream. 
ומבקש שאקר לבן שיובל עלינו על שמו. He said, you'll probably have a baby with, with this man. Call, give him my name. What should I do? Okay. So, he says, it's clear in halacha. Nisuim shniyim mafkiyim kevas harishon, kevas harishon lagamri. So let's say like this. We had uh, 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 Rivka was married to Yoshua. Yeshua died in the war, and then she married Kalev. So now he's saying Rivka and Kalev are 100% married. There's no, no connection to Yeshua at all. Even if it's, 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 listen to this, even if it's Yeshua's yard site, she's not Yeshua's husband anymore, wife anymore. Rivka, since she's now married to Kolev, should not say, oh, I, I got to be sad today. No. The same thing is true the other way. Uh, let's say if, um, if, if Kolev has also lost his wife, Kolev cannot show in front of Rivka Avelut on his first wife. He shouldn't even go to visit the graves of his first wife. And you could read that because that's what does that mean? Because what does that mean? Because think of what it means when he's going to go to his wife's grave on the day that she died. It shows he's still connected to that first wife. And of course, that is wrong. I've never heard about, again, it seems to me this is correct. And I know many cases like this of second marriages. And we know, they say, well, it was convenience. My first love is the first wife. Chaim David Alevi Zatzal is saying, look, don't do it. It's it's mamish afrod shalom bias, clearly. The whole dark etor dark noam, because what message is that sending? You're my second choice. The real love was my first wife. Uh, Nebuk, she's dead. But you're just someone I'm I'm with because for convenience now, because I need someone to drink coffee with in the morning. So, because of that, Rav Chaim is worried, and he tells this woman. You're now going to go to, uh, you're now going to go to uh, Kolev and say, Yoshua came to me in a dream and wants the baby to be named after him. So if you're going to ask your husband, it should be very carefully. It should be, Ask him in a very careful language. Now, if he agrees willfully, and it's not like you you cried, you made him feel guilty. It'll be okay. But if he feels uncomfortable and says, nah, you know, then he's then then the woman should respect it. 
Now, what about the dream? Um, Sheila, you know, you were with me earlier today. We talked about dreams. We did that Gemara today in Tainus about dreams. He says, How do we know if it was really Yoshua coming to Rivka in the dream or not? We know that Chazal do say dreams mean things. Trying to get the right voice. A dream is nothing. A dream is not nothing. There are dreams that represent prophecy. But was it a real dream? Was it a message from uh, Yoshua from the grave? Oh, shehi totsam Maybe she's been thinking about Yoshua. Mimavim. From she's had various desires, things that she was hoping for. Shavobo that haven't happened. Oshoyachom lovo al sipukam, and she isn't uh, she isn't uh, happy about them. Me'amachshava. Now this word I wasn't uh, I wasn't familiar with. We have a number of Hebrew speakers here, Udi and Moshe and Avrami. Shehivzika. I wasn't sure what it meant. Shehivzika b'dimyona adam. Like Bezek? I'm not sure that 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 that. that Other that, says flash. The what? Yes. Flash. It flashed in her in her imagination. Okay. It's 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 like the it's like it, 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 Right. It's sort of like popped up in her in imagination. And she hadn't yet processed it. In other words, it, it, who's, it wasn't necessarily Yeshua coming back. It's sort of like, it, it's something that's sort of in her mind, in her subconscious. And therefore, uh, it's not really in her hakara directly. And therefore... You're chopping out, Kodarav. Chopping up? Would it be pet? different? What are you saying, Sheila? Yes. Would it be different if it was repeated the dream or three times or? And maybe, like maybe that? uh, that's a good point. But he's being a psychologist here. He's saying, "Look, you, you're telling me it came in a dream. Maybe it wasn't really a dream. It was a dream, but the dream was a, a, a byproduct." of something that you were thinking about anyway, about your husband and how if you have a baby, and it wasn't, it's in your subconscious. So now, there's another question I have on that, forgive me, is, is also, isn't there an Indian not to name after someone who's died young and didn't have children? He might have died then Kiddush Hashem, fighting for, for, for the Jewish people. There might be a suppose. That might be different. You know, I think that they normally do that only for people that died from illnesses and things like that. That they're sometimes careful about that, not when it comes to people killed at war. So you're agreeing with me, Avrami, right? It's a covet. It's a covet to 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 name after a hero of Eretz Yisrael. Rock, but how do you know if it's a good dream? It says, You need to really know yourself. You need to really know your your psychology. In other words, you have been blessed. You have that ability, an intellectual ability that's 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 that is healthy. You can tell. Was it a dream? Really, that I wasn't thinking about it, and my 
my husband really came back to me? Or was it a byproduct of your imagination and your desire? Now, if it was a true dream, and it might have been, he's not saying it wasn't, it really might have been a message from God and, and, and your and your ex husband and your your late husband, what do you see from what the what the request of Yoshua? Look what Yeshua's request was. Yes, the baby should be named after me. That shows that he's happy that you're remarried. Havot sipuk you see that he's happy that you're married to Kolev. And therefore, if you tell that to your husband, if you tell him that the dream isn't to say Kolev is still here and that his presence is the shadow over our marriage, I mean, sorry, Yeshua is still here. Yeshua really loves the fact that, that at least now I'm with his friend and he's happy that we're together. That could get him to agree. Um, now, it's possible that if we would speak with this woman, um, we would be able to really understand what the dream is about and everything. But he says, look, this is the answer that I gave. Now, from here, I want to show you that this tshuva that I just read was a reworking of a radio show, <laughs> sort of like what I'm doing now, um, but different. He, had, he was just like Chocham Avadia was on the radio every Saturday night. Moshe, I don't know if you remember that from Eretz Yisrael when he was on the radio. Um, so true, Chaim David Alevi had a radio program. And in his radio program, it was, I guess it was Ask the Rabbi. And, and a woman called up and asked this question. And this was the basic answer that he gave. However, this is what he added in parentheses. This is what he added when he printed the Sefer, uh, this idea about dreams and explaining them. Anyway, I thought it was very uh, interesting. And it really shows... I think his sensitivity about um, husband and wife relationships. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.